Yo, Joe, everybody, this is Steve with a very special podcast episode. This weekend marks the launch of a video on our G.I. Joburg YouTube channel, but not just any video. Its name is Clairvoyance, and it is part of our Playmotion style G.I. Joe adventure. But this one was authored and shot not by us, but by an associate of ours, a fellow who you might have encountered on this channel before. His name's Troy Smith. He's joining me at the moment, and we are going to talk about clairvoyance. But, this is a warning. If you haven't checked it yet, it dropped this Saturday. So I suggest you pause this podcast, check out the channel, watch this awesome video. It's about 26 minutes, which puts it sort of standard cartoon episode length, just about, <laughs> plus uh, advertisement breaks, and then come back and listen to the podcast, because we are going to get in deep about the production of this episode, webisodes in general, G.I. Joe in general, there might be spoilers here. I'm very excited to chat to you, Troy. How are you doing? Uh, it's the best day of my life. <laughs> oh, man. <laughs> Wow, okay, I hope it I hope it stacks up. <laughs> you are a father, of course. Uh. <laughs> okay, and this is the best day of your life. All right, so no pressure, Steve, jeez. <laughs> um, that, that, line, that line always generates a laugh. Indeed. Speaking of, you are a funny man. I, I have to draw attention immediately to the fact that there are some howlers in the script that you prepared and not just in the written script because i had access to that obviously in the lead up to um you shooting it editing it and, and uh, uploading it to the channel but there was a visual gag that i think made me shoot a beverage out of my nostril i don't know if you <laughs> off the top of your head what do you suppose it was um oh gosh there's there could be a couple of them but if it has, I'll just start. Does it have to do with Jinx? Uh, no, actually. Okay. It, 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 it right. is. It is such a a random catch off guard moment. So let me put everyone out of the the misery, including yourself. When Falcon has been jumped by Crocmaster, and they're dueling in that sort of room, there's a sort of a, a throwaway shot with a dog in it. Oh yes, <laughs> Troy. The dog has like like a bow in his hair. It's it's a very <laughs> very effeminately I don't know made up dog. I don't know where you found that that little bit of set dressing, but like it asks many questions. Does Falcon have a dog? <laughs> sort of Miss Lion from Spider Man and his Amazing Friends kind of dog. <laughs> oh wow, we we are definitely going behind the curtain now. Buddy, okay. You must have known when you shot it. It was a very deliberate, like, like quick pan from this dog to Falcon Crocmaster having a fight. <laughs> it, it, it's, it was a happy accident because I believe it was my seven year old picked up my phone. I shot this all on my iPhone. Mm -hmm. And when I wasn't looking, she put the dog in the set and was playing around with it and recording and, and messing around and, I feel bad because I was like, stop, stop messing around. We, we got the scene to shoot. And then I grabbed it. Uh, I didn't grab the phone, but it's like, okay, we're done. You know, I thought, you know, I'm not going to use that. Um, <laughs> it, there's no dog in the script. And it was just a happy accident because I realized in the edit bay that, okay, I've got this fight scene 
where they're on the ground, but I have nothing to cut against now that I have them standing up. And I was like, I've got nothing. And then there's this tight close-up of this little white dog <laughs> that pans out, and she's playing with the two animals – or uh, two animals. She's playing with the two action figures, and I'm like, that's it? <laughs> well, it's and, so slickly done, it looks deliberate, I must say. Oh, yeah. Because, you know, it's like that sort of whip pan, and she's like, uh-huh. blink and you miss it, which is perhaps key to, to all humor, really. It's like it, it gives the viewer a little sense of um, – uh, uh, you know, it's an Easter egg. You, you congratulate yourself for catching it. <laughs> like, hey, oh, wait it, a minute, Falcon's it was a dog. <laughs> yeah, ha- happy accidents. We we love the happy accidents. Indeed, and, man. And then when my girl saw it in the movie, she was like, "Oh, there's my doggy. You put the dog yeah. in." I well, like, yes, I did. Speaking of, <laughs> let's back up. So you had some okay. ample assistance on set on the day yes. of shooting. Days of shooting. Um, your girls. What are their names? Let's let's credit them immediately. Okay, Nadia, age twelve. Wonderful. Lily Bella, age ten, and Jasmine, age seven. Excellent. Wow. Okay, so you had an army of helpers. What was the level of their input? I know we had some vocal performances. We'll get more uh, into that later. But uh, on on the day, I mean, were they primarily manipulating the action figures, or were they holding the camera? They did a little bit of both. Um, I like to be behind the camera, mm-hmm. and um, just because I guess I'm still a control freak. Um, and I did let them shoot a couple of stuff. So I let them shoot behind the camera. I I like having them in front of the camera because they have small hands. And, and so it's easy for them to manipulate some of the characters, like the bird scenes. I was wanted them to use their fingers because uh, my fingers are just so big and it looks funny. But with their little hands, it gives it makes the birds look bigger. Mm. So I let them do. That's why you'll see like their hands mostly moving a lot of the vehicles around. Uh, Nadia, my oldest, the 12 year old, she was doing a tomahawk over top of the hel- uh, of the house. Uh, Lily Bella did a lot of things, um, a lot of the car, and she did the the uh, pogo bouncing. So yeah, very they're nice. they're they're hand models. And of course, they um, have very young backs, so craning over a pogo, for instance, is is uh, you know not a big ask. Meanwhile, if uh, one of us were to do it, you know, you get pretty tired of that after five minutes. It's like, sorry, That's guys, right. we got to go again. <laughs> Bend over. <laughs> Boing. <laughs> That's right. But we do it for the, you know, for the joy, I guess, uh, for the viewers. <laughs> so dialing the clocks back, what was it that inspired you to do this? I mean, it is quite an undertaking, as you've discovered. I mean, I, I, I know you shot that, that sting for the beginning of Blood and Water, um, but this is a much more involved process. 26 minutes long, I know how, how, how many hours of actual work that equates to. <laughs> um, oh, yes. So a lot of love must have, must have been present in the making of this. What made you jump off the deep end? You know, the Blood in the Water was kind of like an audition tape. I was like, I wonder if I can do this and how fast I can do it. That one was about three minutes long and we did it over a weekend and I had to edit it in a week. So I, I got very confident in myself. And so I was like, all right, I get this better, another script, some, another idea, a long series. And I think the first script was like over 30 pages. And 
I, I remember one of our first conversations when you saw the first script, you're like ambitious and like, maybe. <laughs> and Very ambitious. Yeah. Troy, it had aerial battles. It had uh, fisticuffs. It had introductions of very varied characters. And I must say, regardless of what script doctoring you did between then and now, all those beats are present. Like, there are a lot of scenes in Clairvoyance. Oh, yes, there so, are. There, I, bravo, man. You oh, did thank it. You. you pulled it off. <laughs> yes. You know, I feel, um, I, I'm sure you are your worst critic when you think about like, oh, I should have done this. I should have done that. Preach, buddy. I, oh, yeah. I, I left a couple things kind of, uh, you know, Clairvoyance was supposed to be kind of like an introduction to some certain things. Um, Chuckles, he's there and he doesn't really go a whole lot. And same with Law. I kind of wanted to introduce them and then maybe swing back and pick them up on a side story. Um, Mercer. I don't know if you guys noticed that Mercer is, uh, he's wearing a Cobra Viper uniform oh, and yeah. he's, uh, he's getting, uh, pummeled <laughs> by big boa. So that's kind of an Easter egg, uh, to, you know, not making any promises here, but maybe we can swing back to that storyline. Indeed. And, the way is also clear for anyone inspired by your work to maybe pick at those threads, you know, if they're so inclined. They're like, oh, okay. So in this retelling of G.I. Joe, Mercer's still in the Cobra ranks. And Chuckles yes. is around, but like, you know, he's still a bit of an enigma. Um, and that, I, th I think, is what is so cool about uh, this kind of new portal that, that G.I. Joe would really like to start. The whole idea of, uh, you know, sort of special forces, um, people producing G.I. Joe fan films, just kind of like, you know, taking them off in their own unique directions. We don't dictate what G.I. Joe stories are told. G.I. Joe isn't some kind of like authority on like which way it should go. Everyone has, everyone who has these casts of characters and has access to the toys can author a script and, and we all definitely entertain it and put it on the channel and promote it as best we can make it part of this rich tapestry of like gi joe authored by various different you know contributors it is a very exciting time it, it sure is i mean it's like we've never met in person but i feel like we've been playing gi joe together <laughs> indeed <man. laughs> in completely different countries well i wish i had access to uh, your crew I, I could use some some uh, dainty hands uh, <laughs> manipulating the <laughs> subjects from time to time yeah, no, man, that can be frustrating. That yeah, you know, when they just won't behave. Yes, <laughs> the toys, I mean, not the yes. kids. Yes, <laughs> not the kids. <laughs> uh, another thing I've heard you mention that is such a pain. Um, when you, I shoot outside and it's bright sunlight, and I'm using my phone. I can't see my viewfinder. I, there is no viewfinder, mm. and the glare and the focus. Some things I get back in the edit bay, and it's like it's out of focus, and it's just killing me. And it's like, oh. I can't do anything about it now. <laughs> hey, buddy, it's a stylistic choice then. You know? Yes. Yeah. Are you being yes. attacked by, by raptors, birds? Well, you're not going to be able to see well either. Which right. Which is another great little thread that you teased at. I mean, Roadblock uh, gets attacked, loses his right. vision. Um, right. <laughs> there's a line that references G.I. Joe the movie. Right. That's, that's, that's interesting. So is that part of our universe? Maybe. 
Or maybe yeah, Roblox yeah. just, I don't know, he's been huffing something. <laughs> yes. Had these fever dreams of Cobra Law. Right. Or it could be another movie he saw. I mean, who knows? It, you know, it, it's just like in the movie. What what movie, Roblox? What are you talking about? Hey, buddy, <laughs> it wouldn't be G.I. Joe if Roblox didn't go partially blind at least once. Right. It's something and then, that happened yeah. in the co- comic books as well, do you realize? Oh, no, I did not know yeah, that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I don't know if, Hammer, if, if word got back to Larry Hammer that... Uh, um, that this is a thing that had happened in the movie and he was like, oh, well, or maybe it's Roblox just that kind of guy. You don't want to remove him as like a, a physical asset to the team, but you can kind of give him an additional hurdle, like, well, a major one, in fact, by having him lose his sight. Yes. And you, you know, we should give a, a two little shout outs. One is Paul. Paul really helped me rescript that a little bit. Um, a lot of those lines were Paul's. So thank you, Paul. And uh, Roblox brought the life by Joe Slepsky from Joe on Joe podcast, uh, along with Big Boa and uh, Crockmaster. So thank you, Joe. Thank you, Joe. Oh man, I, that is also a sort of an Easter egg for anyone who is, you know, in deep with GI Joe fan culture and perhaps listens to this podcast, watches our channel, and listens to Joe and Joe. They're like, hmm, that's familiar, and I can't quite place it. Well, yes. It is indeed, Mr. Joe Slepsky. Really yes. nice guy, by the way. We've, he uh, is. We've rubbed shoulders before. In fact, he was in New York the same time we were. Right. Um, on our way out of the States uh, after JoeCon last year. So we met up on The Intrepid. Is, that the, is, is it The Intrepid? The Enterprise? Which is if, the, it could... <laughs> the aircraft carrier I, I, in New York? Oh, my goodness, I've forgotten. <laughs> Now, is is that one a Nimitz aircraft carrier, which is uh, modeled after the the USS flag? Oh, dear. I don't know. Fact-checking time. Okay. <laughs> I'm going to leave that one. But um, in any case, Joe met up with us there, and we marauded around the deck of the, the aircraft carrier and just, you know, made G.I. Joe-esque comments about the uh, the... the the Sky Strikers, aka the F-14s, and the, mm-hmm. and the SR-71, aka the Night Raven, and the, the Dragonfly, the Huey Cobra. Um, man, it's just just gr- he's a great guy. He's a great force in the GI Joe fandom. Yes, and you teamed up with him to do the uh, behind the music, mm. and did the voice of Zartan, which was fantastic for Cobra Convergence. And it, guys, I know that a lot of us. I think you guys are on podcast, um, but people who are just always on YouTube, check out that podcast. That was a very, very good one. Indeed. Yeah, man, that was great fun. What another cracking script. Just like the zingers keep coming, man. (laughs) (laughs) That was great. So getting back to the girls, they tended a vocal performance as well. And I'm not just talking about uh, sound effects, which were great fun. I mean, yeah. corvettes and birds. Uh, yeah, you've got a, a little army of, of uh, Foley artists. That's right. Uh, I don't know if you if you picked up on the footsteps. A lot of the footsteps were theirs as they were walking through. Um, oh, did you record you know, actual just... footsteps? This stuff's getting more and more technical. <laughs> Uh, they, they put their little, uh, had some high heel shoes and on the hardwood floors, just set the iPhone down. I was like, okay, walk. Okay, now run. And uh, then we went over to the neighbor's yard. She had some like loose gravel. So we would run in the gravel. So that was the running footsteps. Like when uh, 
uh, Falcon and uh, Crazy Legs run outside. That's them running. That's my girls running through the grass on or, or, through rocks. Cool, man. Great. Yes. I've sometimes tried that myself, and uh, I don't know. Getting it to match is sometimes uh, a bridge too far. But yeah, it, it's it's it definitely does add a, a, a dimension of like realism. If mm-hmm. you can nail the right the right textures, I guess. Yeah, sound recording or foley artistry is is that's a fascinating science. But the girls also gave us a voiceover performance as two Cobra officers, <laughs> and at first I was like, huh, what? <laughs> that's interesting. But they gave such. Because these officers are basically berating Raptor in the scene as like being a total nutcase. Yes. The girls really inhabited that character of total disdain for this this freak show. Yes. They are very convincing young actresses. Are you worried that they might want to tread the boards someday? I have no idea what the... (laughs) No, I'm not worried. (laughs) My (laughs) tip... My ten-year-old, especially, she she is very dramatic in a dramatic flair in a good way. When we go to family camp, she's always we got to do a skit, Daddy. We got to do a skit. So she loves to step up and perform, Excellent. which is great. Um, Nadia does too, and so does Jasmine. Uh, they they all like to perform. Um, if it were up to them, they probably would like to like, Dad, can we do more scenes? And like soon, <laughs> we, we need get, more we get a, female characters, perhaps because yeah, I mean, those Cobra officers could be uh, lady officers. I, That's I, true. You got quite tight in on their faces, and I was like, hmm, that one actually looks like a blonde. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah, and uh, I know you're a very uh, humble guy, but that script, that part of the script was written by you, so thank you for that. And uh, I, I did like that, especially this sign. I hope he uh, careens himself over top of a mountain. <laughs> that was a, a funny line, so I like that. I remember... You helped me out a lot with the script. I was my first draft a little too literal in everything. You're like, no, 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 no. it needs to be more conversational and and uh, you know, very. Th- I guess thanks. That's <laughs> what I'm trying to say. You're welcome, Troy. I mean, to be honest, like a little bit of script doctoring is that is the easy part. In fact, that is almost the fun part. Like mm-hmm. in a very huh, Alfred Hitchcockian sense, like. The the most fun for me comes in like thinking or dreaming up what I want to happen. You know, once you actually get to set or onto location, like, yeah, that's the grunt work. Like the fun happened weeks before that, you know what I mean? So like mm-hmm. it is really, I, I wish I could just do more of it, you know, take a look at people's scripts and like, hmm, let's put in a scene here about this. Yeah, let's introduce right. this guy. Um, yeah, man, because it 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 does it is a callback to the way we used to play as kids. You know, a mm-hmm. lot of it would be kind of just dreaming up the scenario before you actually even got the action figures out. So you're like, mm, I really want to do an underwater battle. Yeah, and then this could happen. We could involve that vehicle. Like, I want to do a, you know, two guys tumbling out of the back of an airplane, but only one parachute. Like that, all, all, yeah, man, my mind just races. So, yeah, any time, in other words. And anyone listening to this who's waiting in the wings thinking, hmm, I want to do Clairvoyance Part 2, well, I will lend out my services uh, to <laughs> look at your script for free, of course, of course. Of yes, course. D- ditto here, yes. <laughs> if if someone sees this and, and uh, sees a loose end and 
wants to grab that and make their own, please do. <laughs> yeah, this, I think we started on this back in May, so we've been working on this a long time. <laughs> <laughs> you say we, Troy, yeah, man, you put in the hard yards. And I th do you, I'm correct in saying that you were a video editor by profession, yes? Yes, I do work in the uh, television industry. I, uh, I'm a television colorist, yes. We got a pro in our ranks. And speaking <laughs> of, man, the colors are gorgeous. Sometimes I wonder how the heck you managed to get that out of your iPhone. Um, I guess it starts with a, a more professional approach to lighting on the day, but then working in the lab, just grading it, getting those colors to pop. Um, there's a, I mean, the beautiful sky set against the green grass, like nothing's blown out. It's like you've really kind of gotten everything to look as it should i could certainly learn a lot of lessons from you sir oh good uh the helicopter scene the sky was blown out on a lot mm. of the shots so it's like oh i gotta fix this um yeah so thank you uh thank you for pointing out noticing well some very picturesque cinematography falcon drives a pink car but not just any pink car it's got a glossy almost mirror reflective surface and yeah there's one point where it's i think it's in like the sort of the gi joe vehicle bay and in the reflection on this like chromed vehicle you can see a palm tree set against a blue sky and that is just that's artistry right there i i think like miami vice i think you know it's just ah oh, it's cool man well that, that i have to chalk that one up to happy accident because <laughs> well, i did those. not did not intentionally do that. And I had some other cars to choose from. I have a, a rusty beat up green truck and I had, um, the same type of model of that pink Cadillac, but it is a red truck with a flatbed on the back. Mm -hmm. But I mean, Falcon's a macho guy. Putting him in a pink Corvette is just funny to me. So. <laughs> <laughs> that was the whole, that was the gag and, and Jinx and everybody, well, Chuckles making fun of him. And, and, uh, when I was a kid, when everybody would, <laughs> anybody would make fun of me as a kid about anything that I had, I would say, oh yeah, well the chicks dig it. And <laughs> to me, it just cracks me up. I hope other people find it funny. So that's kind of like the whole line of him driving this pink car that he's, he's masculine enough to like, yeah, I'm cool. I can drive a pink car. I'm not afraid. And yet, Jinx gives him a hard time about it as well. Um, yes. Yeah, no, the car did definitely play into the humor in a big way. Yeah. And you kept him coming, man. <laughs> <laughs> what is it that Duke says? Um, how do you go from uh, soldier to playboy so fast? <laughs> and Falcon's yeah. like, I usually use my Corvette. <laughs> <laughs> and um, yeah, yeah. Man, what CoverGirl's makeup artist usually drives a pink car? Nice. Yes, that and that's uh, playing on um, in the states. I don't know if you guys know this, but we have these uh, pink Cadillacs. And if you uh, Mary Kay, you sell makeup. It's a network marketing. They were very popular in the '80s. And if you sold a certain amount, they would give you a pink Cadillac. Wow. So that's the joke. The kind of like the running theme, like at the end when uh, Crazy Legs and. He's like, you messed up your car. And he's like, it's not your daddy's caddy. It's a Corvette. <laughs> <laughs> oh, 
Right. Okay. No, I I took that in a very literal sense, like a you know your dad joke. But um, right. Geez, now I got the backstory. Hopefully, people listening to this and people who've watched it um, knew about that phenomenon of pink Cadillacs being dished out back in the eighties. Yes, by Mary Kay. Yes. Mary Kay. All right. So speaking of Falcon, what what was it like seeing Falcon wearing Chuckles' shirt? <laughs> Other than a great opportunity to, to to poke fun at the shirt on multiple occasions. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Um, yeah, man, I suppose that is the ubiquitous, um, casual Joe mold. Though, once again, like something I've never seen Falcon wear. Right. So, I mean, I, I knew what, what you were going for, but perhaps the, the listeners, um, don't make the connection that this is kind of a retelling of Flint's vacation. Absolutely. um, In which, and this is from the Sunbow animation, in which Flint has a sort of a, a casual look. I think it's like an, is it a yellow, like, sweater that he's wearing right. over a shirt with some slacks? But he never takes off his beret. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it just wouldn't be Flint, right, without the beret. So in the same sense, you've got Falcon in slacks and his Hawaiian shirt, which everyone pokes fun at, <laughs> including right. Chuckles. And the beret, of course. Right. Of course. <laughs> yes. And, and uh, Chuckles, speaking of Chuckles, his joke, um, it's one I use every time I see somebody wearing either a camo pants or a camo shirt. It's like, oh, I couldn't see you. You're camouflaged. <laughs> <laughs> that, that's, uh, that's why Chuckles is saying it's like, what, you couldn't see all your clothes <laughs> in the closet because they're camouflaged. Dad jokes. <laughs> Okay, so the tomahawk arrives on the scene to rescue Falcon from whatever peril happens to be there. They notice the Cobra vehicles outside, it's trouble. But without hesitation, Crazy Legs just throws himself out of the plane. Yeah, which is really odd. I mean, even uh, Roadblock tells him, it's like, you sit down and man, that's 60. I know there's some kind of relationship between uh, Falcon and Crazy Legs. I mean, they're just kind of like buddies. I mean, um, and I didn't quite plan that but it just kind of worked out that way that you know crazy legs jumps out of the helicopter to get down there against uh, the will of the other joes and literally bust through a window to help <laughs> his buddy <laughs> to help falcon yeah exactly which is interesting because i mean there is no precedent for it there's no reason for it not to exist but like in gi joe the movie falcon's interactions were with the rawhides and um, right. the renegades <laughs> all these r's um, but Crazy Legs had no place in that, even though he came out in the same year. I'd say Crazy Legs was kind of part of the the normal G.I. Joe releases, along with Outback and Tunnel, not Tunnel Rats. <laughs> um, whereas, you know, Falcon, ironically, found his way into the sort of the more circus freakish bunch with a <laughs> big lob and chuckles and jinx. Right. And even in the comic books, I don't know if Crazy Legs and Falcon had much interaction at all, which has always been odd to me. I always thought like kind of wave mates. If you came out in 86, you were kind of pal pal with the, the 86 crowd. And by the same virtue, if you came out in 87, they'd all kind of come out, come out together. But I think Falcon made his debut in a, 
an issue penciled by Todd McFarlane, of all people. And in that issue, he was introduced alongside Law, Chuckles, and Fast Draw. Uh, but Falcon and Chuckles have an interesting uh, repartee as well. <laughs> There's like some one-upmanship <laughs> going on there. And it's not just about the shirts. Like, Chuckles definitely has an axe to grind against old Falcon. Yeah, he's, uh, for being an undercover guy, he sure likes to talk a lot. <laughs> like, I just thought that was funny of uh, um, him saying, like, wait, do I tell everybody else on base about this? And and then uh, that scene kind of ties in as Falcon's leaving. Law kind of questions him, where are you going? Looks like you're going to have some fun. <laughs> if I told you, what, you'd have to kill me? No, you tell Chuckles, and Chuckles will tell everybody, and then I'd never get any rest. Dude, that one had me in stitches as well. Yeah, that was a little a little misdirection <laughs> on the, on the uh, old cliché. Oh, oh, bait and switch. It's become a popular term these days. It's like, oh, you think you're going one way, but no. <laughs> yes. Now, I wonder if people... Um, We'll one will wonder or think about like okay we saw Chuckles we saw Law and uh, Order do we are we going to see him again and and that's it that we see them throughout the episode I always see Law at the end of the episode but Chuckles um, you know there were some Joes that I sprinkled in there purposely just to kind of introduce and swing and circle back around to at some point was kind of what I was thinking so um, you know there could be a possible chuckle storyline or there could be more on law or there could not be i don't know <laughs> yeah, they gotta get the 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 corvette you know panel beats it out and uh, back on its wheels and then we can have like a buddy cop comedy between falcon and crazy legs that's right i mean that was another cool little sequence like you know falcon runs upstairs pops the the shotgun out of the sort of the spring-loaded bed <laughs> and then they, they you know they saddle up they're both hanging out the sides of the car and doing battle with a, a pogo of all things like that is one of the most unique action sequences I think anyone could conceive for a G.I. Joe story. <laughs> oh, well, thank you. Yeah, it's very unconventional. Um, let's take this civilian car against this. What is this thing? You know, this yeah. bouncing thing, <laughs> pogo stick. Uh, well, it has its perfect debut as being the chariot to one of the, the Cobra Freak shows. Yes. I think it's perhaps time we talk a little bit about those guys. Yes. Clairvoyance is, as far as these kind of G.I. Joe Berg webisodes are concerned, the debut of Big Boa, Raptor, Crocmaster, and Crystal Ball. That's right. Of those four criminals, do you have a favorite? I do. Ooh. Crocmaster. Crockmaster, hands down. Uh, I used him as a ninja. A guy has his face covered. He's got to be a ninja. Totally, <laughs> totally. I I never had Storm Shadow as a uh, kid, so he kind of had to fill that role. And I just really like the crocodiles. I I know it's kind of weird and unconventional, but I thought, wow, this guy has a crocodile. That's cool. Well, anytime I've been to the zoo or to kind of like a reptile farm and seeing crocs in their environment, it's scary, man. Because, oh, yeah. you know, you see them basking in the sun, and that's fine. You could probably avoid them. But it's the ones that you don't see that terrify me. Like, right. imagine having to conduct a mission in that environment. Like, water everywhere. You can't avoid crossing a river. And you got some very, very 
ill-tempered but well-trained Crocs. Yeah, man, Crocmaster specialty, while niche, is is it does have its place. And you say you use them as a ninja too. Well, who else fit the bill? <laughs> I remember using Ice Viper as my Snow Ninja, and Hydro Viper as my Water Ninja. Um, <laughs> did any, anyone with a mask fit that kind of template? Yes, and yes. um, oh, I could. I can't believe I'm drawing a blank. The saboteur, um, Firefly. Firefly, thank you. Nice. Firefly. I mean, well, he, I thought he was a ninja for the longest time. A lot of people did. A lot of people did. Yes. Um, it's ironic that he was then kind of retconned into being a ninja in the comic books. Right. But uh, it was never a good fit, particularly since his wardrobe got extremely neon around about the same time. But that's right. that's, that's a matter for another topic, perhaps. Um, yes. Okay. So, Crocmaster was Mr. Number One. Of those three vehicles, do you have a favorite? That was kind of a tough because as a kid, I always liked the jetpack. It seemed to be the most useful. Um, the buzz bore, I was just kind of like, uh, I don't know. It's kind of interesting, but not really. And the pogo, it's like, uh, I, I don't know. The jetpack seemed to be the most useful and interesting. But as an adult, and I think it was Paul that kind of turned me on to this. Uh, I kind of like the buzz bore. It is so weird and so out there. And, um, it's definitely unique in the, the, yes. the pantheon of Cobra vehicles, as is the Pogo, but uh, yeah, no, the Buzzbore takes takes first prize, definitely. Is there anything else that traverses underground or is intended to? I don't think the so. Only, yeah, the only thing that I could think of, and it was a very small, I can't remember what they call, but they were the backpack, battle armor backpacks. Yes, there was one that Cobra right. had that could drill that you could put on a backpack and it could drill. And that was about the only thing that, mm. that I know of, of any boring device. But um, I think you had given me the idea or it wasn't even an idea. You just kind of, we were just texting or talking like, Oh, the buzz board go under underground. And I was thinking about that. And that kind of stuck with me. And I was like, how can I make that happen? So, <laughs> well, I'd say you sold the idea of it very nicely. I mean, I also was scratching my head. And then you sent me some footage. You sent me like you'd done a test, and 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 I was like, yeah, I'd buy it. I'd buy it. Yeah. I see the buzzboard disappear, and I see the dirt being flung up. I'm like, the implication is clear. And that's what right. so much of this stuff is. Like, we don't have access to a special effects department. We also don't <laughs> want to spend, you know, an entire day excavating a tunnel and trying to drag a camera through that. I mean, it's like all the obvious ways of handling it are kind of very prohibitive so instead you just kind of sell the idea a little bit of smoke right. and smoke and mirror magic and, yes uh, and it, and it just enhances the coolness of the toy as a result i'm like yes finally get to see these things doing their their function and i know that these guys they take a in the geo community they take a lot of criticism but they also have their fans too and i hope that i hope that people will watch this and and have new ideas and like, oh, well, maybe, maybe Raptor's not as goofy as I thought. He, he's kind of interesting. Troy, I would go so far as to say people will find love for these characters after seeing them in, you know, frontline use. So often, like, in any G.I. Joe story, the Cobras default to, like, the heavy hitters, the Destros, the Baronesses, Firefly, Storm Shadow... And then kind of the, the, the cooler looking Cobra troops to fill up the background. 
Right. But by spotlighting the freak shows and using them as a team unto themselves, yeah, man, I, I do think we might see a slight swelling in the sale of crystal ball action figures. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Mission and, accomplished. Right. And I made it a good point to use big boas. Like, what is the point of having a punching bag and boxing gloves? It's like, that's not really <laughs> going to help you. But it's like, I try to figure out a way to make that actual toy feature actually work. And, you know, I gave it a little gave it a little special scene, you know, big boa work in the work in the bag. <laughs> loved it. Loved it. Good choice to open with that. Open oh, with the bad good. guys, which is something that I've been meaning to do as well. Never quite gotten around to it. And it does set the scene. The bad guys are the aggressors. Cobra, they they're the catalyst. It makes yes. perfect sense to show them kind of in their plotting phase. You, you don't get a more unique scenario for the bad guys than like actually showing them in training that's something that is is typically reserved for gi joe you never see like a cobra training situation but it is the perfect situation to let big boa shine in with voice work very very nicely tended by mr joe slepsky of joe and joe podcast no less oh he he really brought that character life i i love it and just on a whim i just i just think his professional he's like i'm gonna put some grunts in it for you and i just used them all <laughs> it was just great the fighting man. yeah no i think it was i think it was fantastic you and joe how do you guys know each other i actually just reached out to him cold and asked if i could do a, a joe on joe podcast with him and cool. uh, he came over to the house and we put the girls all on mic and we watched two episodes of of long live rock and roll on the deke series huh yeah. I need to circle back and listen to that. I perhaps might have listened to it before you and I were acquainted, Troy. Maybe. This was, it was, some, this it was, was some last... time back, right? Yeah, I think it was last summer, actually. Well, I and... will then tell everybody listening to this to, to give Deke a chance. Right. <laughs> listen <laughs> to the Joe and Joe episode uh, featuring Mr. Troy Smith and family. Uh, Long yes. Live Rock and Roll, parts one and two. Excellent. Parts one and two, yes, two episodes. And it's funny because I we you guys did come up in the conversation, and I, I just remember telling uh, Joe, it's like, yeah, I'd like to, I'd like to meet the Joeberg team someday. <laughs> it's like, and here we are. Yeah, well, the world is small, and this community is even smaller. Like everyone here could be on first name basis. We just got to find reasons to play GI Joe together, basically. Yes. Mm. <laughs> that's <laughs> that's right. Um, so, Crockmaster, what did you think about uh, his his layer and his introduction? You know what? I'm always crazy about aquatic uses for figures. Right. It could be, you know, in the open seas, like a moray out in the ocean, or a swampy environment like that. The idea of taking toys underwater, I think, has always been my greatest thrill, which is why mm-hmm. I gravitated towards, like, the Cobra Bug and the Cobra Hammerhead. Those were like my ultimates growing up. Um, there's something very magical about like when you dive a vehicle or figure into the water. It just takes on a different character. So I am always going to be a big fan of submerging and emerging a character out of water. That was nicely handled, man. And I love the fact oh, that like you. you had this kind of speckly swamp water that kind of like bits of swamp clung to him as he rose and as he sunk then he kind of it released um yeah man uh did you have the camera 
on a tripod or did you have someone holding it really close to the water? Because that, that is, <laughs> it, when you're using your mobile phone, that, that's a genuine risk of water damage. Yes, yes, it is. And that is actually an old fountain in the back of my yard. And the fountain is probably, the water that he's in is probably less than 12 inches diameter. It's super, super small. Okay. So and he just likes being submerged, doesn't he? Yeah. So you zoom in super tight, and it looks really big. <laughs> it looks like a big, huge swamp, and um, you know, it was a fun little set piece that uh, I thought worked out. And the, how about the crocodile? Were you uh, scared, surprised? <laughs> the sound effects were terrifying. Was that one of your girls? <laughs> that was me. <laughs> oh, brilliant! <laughs> I mean, it's like a, demonic crocodile <laughs> you yeah. know really really vocal so on the soundscape alone i mean when all said and done you're watching a hard plastic croc um but it's the sounds that that sell it and uh, yes. i figured that that cobra officer was hanging back perhaps almost a little too long like man if i had heard yeah. that thing coming i'd be like whoop i'm out of here See ya. Yep. this guy gives me the yeah. creeps yeah, I, I like that. And I like I think I like uh, the laziness of uh, Croc Master is like, uh, you know, using his uh, gators to or Crocs to go fetch, you know, like their dogs. <laughs> it's just it's just a funny little. Well, gag. In, to use the kind of the security company parlance, he's the guy in the control booth and yes. the Crocs are his like, you know. Renter cops <laughs> downstairs <laughs> in the sort of the 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 area that's being patrolled. Right. And it just occurred to me, like Crocmaster's introduction, I think it was in GI Joe Yearbook Three, if I'm not mistaken. Maybe it was earlier. I don't know. But um, he's introduced in that book, at least, kind of lying with his ears. He's lying in very shallow swamp water with his ears submerged, and he's just kind of mm -hmm. like. I think his line, his opening line is, someone's disturbing my green dreams, like trudging through my swamp. Isn't it true that um, water, being a denser medium, sound waves travel quicker um, and more vividly through bodies of water than, than through air, for instance? So there might be actual, like, real-world science precedent for Crocmaster's methods. Like, if you're marching through a body of water... And there's someone listening very acutely, you know, with his ears submerged. Maybe he will be able to hear you from greater distances. Anyway, I don't know. I, I could be totally wrong. Um, be sure to let me know, fans out there, <laughs> if I'm barking up the wrong tree. But if there is some merit to that, then, um, then Mr. Larry Harmon knew what he was doing. Yes. Well, that's why they say don't tap on the glass at the fish tank and fish scatter when you walk towards the pond. They can hear your yeah. footsteps. Yeah, man. So okay. we'll run with it. Cool. <laughs> Jeez. So, yeah, I mean, even even all the way at the top of sort of the G.I. Joe scribe um, uh, hierarchy, shall we say, Larry Armour was um, taking time to write this character with some love and some, some care. Yeah. Yeah. Now, did we talk about um, the casting? of these guys and how originally we were talking about using the dreadnoughts we... we did not but just before we move from crocmaster i'd like to also give a shout out to mr bart simon who uh recently unveiled a very cool crocmaster custom and custom swamp boat hovercraft boats um on the gi joburg facebook group awesome work buddy um for nice detail and an interesting 
reinterpretation of the character. So if you're not on the group, join. This is a very easy question. <laughs> and check out this man's fine work amongst the other awesome posts. I love the fact that that community is almost self-sustaining. I don't have to do much on it at all other than just like and share things. Oh, wow. I'm... Anyways, as you were saying, Troy? I, I pulled it up. I just couldn't wait until the interview was over. That is pretty awesome. <laughs> oh, cool. And it's got a little storage uh, capacity for baby crocs. Yes, all the baby crocs. Very cute. Very cool. <laughs> well, then, the, then this episode is very timely. Hmm, indeed. Well, Crocmaster, I mean, I suppose he's just one of those choices that, like, people will always circle back to. The distinct minority will be finding love for him. Um, but, yeah, he does have a, a, a cult cult status, I'd say. You either love him yes. or you hate him. But when you love him, you really love him. That's right. And I don't know if it's... Uh because I've been working with these guys um, that my antennas are more alert, but there, there's another guy who has been posting a lot of photos of Raptor. I feel like I've been seeing a lot of him lately. Oh, tell. I, I, I don't remember where I've seen it, but I know that people have like, I just like, I guess my eyes and are and ears are more attuned to whenever I'm on any Facebook group or going through um, seeing pictures of these guys and i remember like a guy talking about raptor when we were shooting this movie um but yeah so that was a long time ago <laughs> i don't recall where i saw it though once again i'm sure raptor has his his pundits his followers they aren't mm -hmm. uh, numerous enough to drive the prices up i think you can still get raptor rather inexpensively uh, even right. more so if you don't mind slight damage to his his wings or or um his bird not having feet. <laughs> right. But yes. um, what are your thoughts on that? Can raptor fly? I think is the popular question to ask at this point. That's right. And uh, I shot that scene twice. I sent one where he flies off and the other, he just kind of walks off. And I, I sent both of them to you guys and took up a, a, a poll. And Paul, he, he loved the, uh, <laughs> of Raptor sadly walking away from the <laughs> officer. Nobody understands me. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> yes, but we went with the, uh, you know, it could have be a grappling hook that we don't see. It could be some kind of propulsion that we don't see. Um, when he gets shot out, I mean, he definitely can use his wings to glide. I think that that's yeah. very, is well, kind of like Batman. Yeah, there, there, I mean, there's there are three options basically. Well, fourth if you include he can't fly at all. But uh, <laughs> the first is it's as simple as like a wingsuit. Everyone's right. familiar with those. They basically slow your descent and allow you to guide which way you go. The second is he actually can fly. And you know, in the the Marvel sort of pantheon of characters, it's not too difficult to find analogs. And that's you know Falcon. He's got carbon fiber wings. Uh, a little bit of jet propulsion in the back, and boom, the guy is as agile as Iron Man, basically, to a point. Mm -hmm. I don't think he can get into the high Mach numbers or, or higher altitudes, but like he certainly has mastery of flight. And then the third option, I think you might have touched on, is uh, that sculpted detail in the back, which seems like a grapple. Right. Maybe he uses a combination of gliding and ziplining. I think that's the case. There you go. If I were... If I were going to guess, I, I think it's some kind of grappling. And in cartoons, people swing in and out out of sure. air. 
<laughs> the vines are never attached to anything. They just fly, <laughs> you know. <laughs> well, I guess that I guess that question is solved. <laughs> Indeed, and in, in keeping with the, his his sort of his wave mates, I'd say a lot of it is is illusion, um, mm-hmm. and that's okay, man. Cobra is all about right. like like sleight of hand and trickery and underhanded activities. So Raptor is just a master of like. You know, you only see the top three percent. The rest is under the water, basically. That's right. Uh, he only shows you what he wants you to see. Right. Sleight of hand, intimidation. I mean, I guess that kind of goes with all of them. Uh, Crockmaster, uh, Big Boa, just being intimidating. Um, but he has weaponized birds. <laughs> yeah. Yes. And and we've shown them to be effective in clairvoyance. Not only do they practically peck a roadblock's eyes out, but okay, they don't really, surely. Are his <laughs> eyes okay, Troy? I gotta know. Will, uh, ro- will roadblock's vision return? You know, it has in the past. I think history can repeat itself. Mm, we'll just say that like he got pretty cut up and there was some blood right. Uh, right. in his eyes and he couldn't clear it out because he was busy fighting them. Anyways, but the raptors also succeeded in downing the the, the tomahawk. I know. Did you see that coming? Not at all, man. I thought, like, yeah. the main threat is Raptor in the jetpack. They dispatch him. That's done. But the birds, they they have the final laugh and manage to avoid um, getting swept up in the rotor blades. <laughs> That's some pretty skillful flying. Yes. Well, Pelgrim Falcons are the fastest animal in the world. I think they can fly up to 200 miles per hour when wow. they do their dives. Jeez, well, that's Super approaching fast. the speed of a tomahawk in and of itself, yes. I'd say. Yeah. Cool, man. And I noticed yeah. some very dainty hands manipulating them. Oh, yes. That's... <laughs> Bravo, girls. Yes, thank you, ladies. That was. I love having them uh, hold the hold the action figures, and especially the birds. It's like, I got them, you're just on the tip of the wing, so we can see most of the birds. <laughs> nice, nice. Yeah, yeah, that is the tricky thing, and something that I, I've spoken to at length with uh, other buddies of mine who've assisted on these these videos. It's like, yeah, when we were playing with these things, a we didn't have to worry about where a camera was positioned to to capture the the action, and b we didn't have to worry about our hands being quite so prominent. Like, right, it does make the puppeteering slightly more awkward than than ever before. But when you've got daughters with dainty hands, uh, suddenly things become slightly easier. I did That's notice, right. however, there was a shot of a bird with no hands whatsoever. Yes. What was that all about? That that was another happy accident. We were at the park shooting, and there are lots of falcons around Southern California. Oh, and amazing. there was one in the sky, and I was like, you know what? What the heck? Point the camera up there, and I'm like, I may use this, may not. And it served as a good cutaway. It was a so. great cutaway. It was gravy. It's one of those moments that, you know, you just need a sprinkling of them that make the audience question, like, huh? Yeah. Were, were there wires? I mean, what what am I looking at? So it's the yeah. real deal. That's that is the real deal. Cool Easter egg, man. Yes. Let's shift the focus onto Mr. Crystal Ball, who makes his debut yes. alongside the other freaks. But he's somewhat the the kingpin. The whole mm-hmm. idea was to just get him into a position where he was alone with Falcon. <laughs> Maybe after Falcon had been softened up by a <laughs> big bow a little yeah. bit. Before we go down that rabbit hole, again, Paul, fantastic job bringing him to life. 
and all the the effects in Crystal Ball's voice and the slow pacing and the creepy eeriness of it, I love it. I when Paul sent me the the wave, I was like, this is amazing. This is far better than what I expected. So thank you, Paul. His techniques, crystal balls, they might have similar ends to what Mindbender does, but the means are not the same whatsoever. Whereas Mindbender needed a pterodrome and all of the kind of diabolical equipment he had packed in there, um, Crystal Ball basically just needs his voice and his hip right. shield, I, I, I presume. Yes, I, you know, the seventh son of a seventh son. I never quite understood how he um, could read minds, and at first I thought he could troll minds, but I was reading his file card again, and it's like, no, he just can read minds, and so it's for interrogation. And that was the whole purpose of the whole movie, was uh, to figure out where the location of Red Glare is, Operation Red Glare. And, um, you know, Crystal Ball tells Falcon not to wear the shirt again, and if anybody asked, your vacation's bodacious. I, those <laughs> you're having a laugh <laughs> at Falcon's right. expense or is there a sinister reason mm. Mm. could be could not be Troy you got me guessing man and I should know the answer but <laughs> mm. it definitely yeah. opens some avenues up for exploration yes I think it, as maybe a little bit of hypnotism maybe a little bit of suggestion and I mean, it definitely stuck with Falcon because when he gets back, uh, I hope that it comes across when he's talking to Law that something's not right. I, I tried to shoot that last scene as a little off tilted for Falcon, mm -hmm. and he just kind of like, my vacation was bodacious, and and Law's like, uh, whatever, dude. <laughs> like, all right, so let's I, let's stick on Crystal Ball and we'll swing back to Law in order. So yeah, Crystal Ball. What do they say? The the saying is. The most sincere form of flattery is uh, plagiarism or something like that. Um, imitation? Imitation, yes. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> plagiarism I, doesn't, doesn't sound quite as um, flattering, I guess. It's like, yes. what? You're just copying me, man. <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, imitation, sure. Imitation, yeah. imitation, yes. That's the word. Imitation is a sincere form of flattery, I think is the saying. And uh, yes, the introduction of Crystal Ball, I just felt like even though we've seen it before and it was the same way that Dr. Mindbender was introduced, I just had to do, had to do it. I mean, it just, it's well, a lot it, to be said for it being a, a recurring motif. Yeah, it's like yeah. a captured Joe is naturally going to be interrogated. Right. And so you're going to have this groggy scene where the interrogator comes into focus. I don't think there's anything right. wrong with re re repeating that. In fact, um, a lot of drama is, you know, the rule of threes. Like, a, th a thing should occur, reoccur, and by the third time, you switch it up. And uh, right. there's another interrogation expert who should be debuting a little while from now, and maybe we can kind of complete the circle with him. All right. Mm -hmm. mm. In fact, there have been comments on our... Um, even before Clairvoyance was released, in the sort of the premiere announcement... There have been comments that have been like, is interrogating this? <laughs> uh, 
Um, so similar comments ran the other way, which was like, I hope this has crystal ball in it. But there's definitely a contingent of people out there that are just salivating for that random battlecopter inclusion. <laughs> I guess that character needs needs to see the light of day. It doesn't have nearly enough exposure, considering how cool his outfit is. It's a sort oh, of yes. Boba Fett uh, scenario. All the cool looks in the world, but uh, no no cool stories to, to tell about him. And is he ninety? Is 1990, he ninety? Ninety-one, I think. Ninety-one. Yes. Okay. Oh, we're still in eighty-seven. <laughs> got a ways to go. Yeah, no, definitely. We're going to see a lot more of Crystal Ball and perhaps even Mindbender before then. Right. It's good to know that there are cool, interesting characters in the future. We're not going to be lamenting the the passage of time. It's going to be like, oh wait, no. Now we've got a guy with football pads and and grunt has an enormous rocket launcher let's ah, let's get excited about these guys <laughs> yes yeah it's a it's good it's a long journey my friend indeed, indeed. <laughs> let's just let's just let's just enjoy the ride year by year falcon arrives at his immaculate house if it is his house and he's asking for heather heather that's right that's and who is heather are you asking me? Are you going to tell yeah, me? Yeah, <laughs> I'm just kind of throwing it out there. I know, I know you know the answer, but Heather is Zarana's code name when she goes undercover to get the codes to release Serpentor from the movie. And it's like, well, why not? Got to be Heather. It's interesting to me because you collapse that into what can continuity we have running through these things uh, from Blazing Sand. And, I mean, Zorana's not above two-timing mainframe if it means she needs to get the job done. Like, she's probably fostered relationships with a handful of Joes over the years. Perhaps. I don't know. Um, right. Ma- ma- maybe it hasn't specifically run into the G.I. Joe roster, but certainly she's used all of the, uh, the feminine wiles at her disposal to get information. So she's been working Falcon, has she? Interesting. I guess that's the case. It, it could be her, it could not be her, but um, you know, he's going to he was going to go visit somebody, and I guess since we're we're kind of talking about Falcon here, so way before I did this movie and I did any GI Joe movie, I was like Falcon's was my favorite character. He, him, and Flint, and I always thought I just hated his portrayal in the movie in the cartoon. And I was like, if I ever get a chance to do a movie with Falcon, he's going to be tough. He's not going to be how he is in the movie. Mm-hmm. And so I make my movie, and I gave him the same personality in the movie. <laughs> <laughs> it's it's kind of unique in the G.I. Yeah. Joe roster to have a character who shirks his duties, who is more laid back, who, like, you know, he's he's extremely proficient, I, right. I don't think it, th- there was any doubt that Falcon, you know, in terms of hand-to-hand, uh, defensive driving, um, marksmanship, he's he's every every bit the real American hero. But he does not take his you know his furlough uh, lightly. He's gonna you know if he applied for his time off, he's gonna take it. There's nothing wrong with that. There's something very human in that. Right. And it's also unusual. Like everyone in GI Joe seem like. Like Dudley Do writes, like completely faultless, but Falcon, I think he he's he's us really. Mm-hmm. So I applaud that choice. Instead of making him this unattainable good guy, 
He's he's one of you know he's he's exactly that he's, he is one of us. Yeah, and he still handles his own. I mean, he knocked out um, uh, Croc Master, and he thinks he's going to make it to the other room, and then gets uh, sucker punched by <laughs> uh, by Big Boa, and he takes him on. And it yep. takes two of them to kind of, you know, it's like how are you going to punch Big Boa? He's got that spiky helmet on. True, but, especially uh, when you're bare knuckling it. Damn, man. Exactly. That's why a, uh, I don't know what kind of kick that is, but a reverse kick can Ooh, knock a guy Yeah, down. man, like a reverse roundhouse kick. He uses right. that twice, if I'm not mistaken. And that is That's cool. Right. Very cool, like, fight choreography ideas. And I, I can appreciate them myself, you know, perhaps I know a little bit more about it than, than most. Like, it is tricky getting right. fight choreo rights. You need two players basically who are both equally adept at puppeteering these guys when it is just you and maybe you know the girls who perhaps aren't as experienced as you might want them to be it is difficult to get the moves looking right more often than not i've just kind of smashed figures up against one another but you went with with actual you know kicks and punches and i'd say it came out pretty well Oh, thank you a little bit of uh on the ground fighting rolling around uh Mm. you know kind of but that reverse roundhouse was very clear. I mean, the action was clear. I, I got what was going on there. And like, yeah, as you say, a pretty good compromise or workaround to the fact that you're not going to want to punch Boa in the face ever. Right. <laughs> yep. Yep. Uh, if, if you watch the movie again, or maybe you, if you have really keen eyes, you caught it. But when they are kind of fighting and Falcon is trying to punch Big Boa, kind of like gut, gut punches, I couldn't really puppeteer Falcon very well. And so when Falcon's trying to punch Big Boa, he's basically knocking his head into uh, Big Boa's glove. <laughs> so I'm doing the exact opposite of what I want to do with Falcon. And instead of punching, Falcon's just like headbutting <laughs> right into his gloves. It's like, oh, I don't know. There's a there's one little shot there where it's just like Falcon. <laughs> Did I say that. Falcon was an expert at hand-to-hand? I think I take that back. That sounds yeah. suicidal. <laughs> yeah. Funny, man. That was a whoopsie, but it's like, uh. <laughs> oh, well, Falcon lost that round, unfortunately. Yep. I don't know if you noticed, but sometimes that uh, little pink car can roll by itself, right? <gasps> what did you do? A little bit of trickery there. Uh, when it's moving out of frame at the checkpoint, I basically just kind of started the car off frame and pushed it backwards a couple times to get it to line up right, and then reversed it so it looks like he drives off by himself. Excellent. Yeah, the old classic uh, run it backwards, reverse move. Rock and roll that footage, man. Yeah, there are definitely shots in there that that make you scratch your head and like wonder how the hell they did it. Because, you know, we have very modest means when it comes to these <laughs> things but uh any little bit of like camera trickery it should have the audiences guessing like what what are they what am i actually seeing now yeah mm. you perhaps were going to use gung-ho in 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 place of falcon and that's oh, yes. by the wayside what uh what ultimately were you weighing up between the two well what i liked about gung-ho is the again it's like trying to bring an interesting take on a character or an action figure that, uh, I mean, in all intents and purposes, I was going to use Gung Ho version two. Mm. A marine dress blue has no purpose in the battlefield, but it is such a cool figure. And it is, I think he's a great figure and I'm glad that they made him. So I thought, 
you know, what better way to use them in him going on vacation? Because he's going to wear lots of soldiers. They wear their uh, marine dress blues when they go on vacation or they go home or when they're traveling. And it was like a perfect scenario to to use that. Yeah, the only way he would be in that outfit and be involved in action is right. if it came as a surprise. If you yep, didn't absolutely. see it coming. And all of a sudden, yeah. damn, he's in a high-speed chase with a pogo. <laughs> right. <laughs> but I, I just ultimately uh, it went back to Flint's vacation. I mean, the the fact that I really liked that episode. And, and instead of Flint, we sub in another Green Beret Falcon. And it just... It just worked. So I was like, right, I'm going to stick with this. And that that's the way it went. Ironically, does Marine Dress Blue's gung-ho's hat, um, it's not removable, is it? No, it's not. Hilarious, because, yeah, man, you'd expect it would be. Right. Like, sometimes something as simple as that would, would sway my decision either way, just to have the dynamism of the hat flying off his head right. as he gets punched. Right. But it's, you're stuck with the same situation as with Falcon and Flint, that, like... No matter what he's wearing, the hat doesn't come off. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> Gee whiz. Yeah, it'd be a while yeah. before we saw, um, you know, Gung Ho's excellent polished uh, noggin. I think it was like the the Battle Core version from the 90s. Mm-hmm. Yeah, man. Yeah. And then the Mega Marines. Gosh, I, <laughs> I, I shudder to think. Are you a fan of, like, latter 90s toys, or did the Neon just kill it for you? Uh, I, unfortunately, I think a, I felt like I was in GI Joe longer than I should have, but hitting around 89. <laughs> Don't worry. We all yeah. felt that way. <laughs> Anyone listening to that feels this way, but no, I it know. comes back around again, man. This is a very rewarding hobby. I'm glad we stuck it out. Yes. Yeah, same here. I, I tell my wife, it's like, look, when I was 12, I made a commitment that I would always love GI Joe. And then when we got married, I made that same commitment to you. I still live G.I. Joe. I still love you. I've got a good track record here, okay? <laughs> Indeed. But G.I. Joe came first, so don't question it. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so you got out of the toys before right. um, before they started wearing, like, day glow pink. <laughs> right. Good for you, man. Yeah. Those are the toys that were on shelves when I was growing up. I didn't have a choice. So right. I find enormous... Um, uh, saving grace for those those latter releases. I've got all the time in the world for them, but and I do I do you know obviously admit to the fact that the superior toys were the earlier ones. How can yeah. they not be? They sort of galvanized what GI Joe was, and uh, you know we have we have the 80s to thank for even giving us the fact that I'm into GI Joe at all is because it had such an awesome platform before I was even able to form words. <laughs> and uh the nine, nine i was i bought the the book and oh, yeah. uh i i looked through i looked through it and surprisingly once i looked at 1990 again and 91 there are some really good figures in 90 and 91 that Indeed. if i were still collecting it's like oh yeah i gotta have these guys these guys are great a number of like niches that were begging to be filled happened mm -hmm. in those two years i find like cobra finally got a dedicated Desert Trooper, um, right. amongst other things. But like, you know, if, if if you are thinking 91, I'd say the standout was Desert Scorpion. It's like, man, why didn't I have this guy back in 85? Like, right. an opposite number for Dusty. Because, you know, you've always got these guys in Cobra Blue everywhere around the globe. It's like, nah, man, when you're in the desert environment, it's have something a little bit more specialized leading the squad. 
But anyways, yeah. now now we got it all. We got the whole yes. roster to choose from. We haven't even talked about Psych Out. Here we go. Now this okay. is a big one. Like he spends most of his time around base, and then we finally get a little bit of info on like what he might be doing in a future episode. He's debriefing um, lift tickets about yes. the, the the bird attack. And where, yes. <laughs> where the lift ticket is still uh, sane. Right. I don't know why, but I just uh, I wanted to use somebody besides mainframe because it's oh it's always dial tone mainframe. I guess there's breaker always at the control. And for some reason, Psychout just kind of like he fit the bill to me. He's like, yeah, he's he would be the guy. Uh, you know, GI Joe is just such a world building. You know, they have all these jobs like. A psychiatrist, you're going to need that in real life. But as far as like, he may not be the guy on the front line, but he's definitely important. And I think that that's kind of why I wrote that in that the the dialogue between him and Dialtone and Dialtone is just soldier. I don't get it. I, <laughs> you know, it's like I'm not saying you're not important, but your job's not. You know, it just the the banter between those two, and I think it was uh, a good way to kind of talk a little bit about like foreshadowing and what's happening and um with falcon going to be his his mind getting red and and uh you know clairvoyance is definitely after blazing sands because he there's a mention of lady J and a mention of hawk and um i just you know i just felt like psych out needed his due sure need- yeah absolutely and and psych out's importance only really dawned on me after reading Tom Clancy's Rainbow Six. That is a very cool book if you are a G.I. Joe fan. Hopefully, folks listening to this have, have passed their eye over it. I mean, sure, Rainbow Six mainly gets mentioned in, 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 in association with the video games, and it has been a very successful uh, video game series, but way back in the day, it was a really, really thick book about an anti-terrorist unit, not too unlike G.I. Joe, except its membership was drawn from around the world. And one of the members of the sort of the staff, not so much the frontline kind of shooter guys who would go into buildings and, and solve terrorist situations, but one of the key personnel was a psychologist. Mm-hmm. He would fulfill the role of like trying to work out terrorist motivations, but also like when on the job, he would be the guy communicating with the terrorists. You want to have your sort of like your big brain. Uh, talking to the the terrorists, assessing their demands, and basically trying to figure out how proficient these guys are, how dedicated they are, what kind of cause they've got, whether it's they're in, just in it for the money, or if they have uh, ideology that's motivating them, or politics. Like that is Psychart's place. He is mm-hmm. trying to crack the code of what makes someone join the ranks of Cobra, and how easy it is to perhaps even talk them down from the edge. I mean, right. The, you are dealing with human beings, and human beings, they're not robots. They're not going to follow orders blindly. Um, so someone like Psychart, his deceptive warfare, or psychological warfare specialty becomes increasingly important in the more strategic G.I. Joe versus Cobra struggle. So by virtue of that, I think, oh man, one of our very, very early podcasts, we reimagined the original 13, knowing what we know now. Like, in my original 13, I wanted tunnel rats, I wanted, um, you had to have a pilot, so Wild Bill was my go-to. But I included Psych Out 
as a, a figure inclusion with the 1983 HQ. Like I figured oh, wow. in the sort of the 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 the, the vehicle and playsets um, releases that the HQ was essential, but I would give it its dedicated figure, and that would be Psycards. And hey, voila! In clairvoyance, we see the 1983 HQ, and guess who's at the comm station? Psycards. Psycards. Right. Would appear you and I are birds of a feather, my man. Birds of a feather fight together. Indeed. <laughs> Raptor style. Nice, man. So I'm excited about his inclusion. I've been meaning to shoot maybe a little vignette just dealing with the aftermath of Blazing Sand, including a scene of Saikar trying to assess Lady J's fitness to return to the G.I. Joe ranks. You know, how her conditioning from Mindbender has affected her, whether it's worn off or if she's still you know, a, a, da- a danger, that she's still got some kind of post-hypnotic su- suggestion uh, floating around her brain. And then in a more frivolous um, kind of epilogue, show Clutch in the G.I. Joe motor pool just taking delivery of the wreckage of the Thunder Machine and being like, these lunatics strapped a jet engine to a trans-am. What were they thinking? Like, we should just let them plaster themselves against a cliff face. Like, right. They are insane, certifiable. And then, of yeah. course, show some cutaways of, like, maybe the Dreadnoughts being incarcerated and the hijinks that they get up to, you know, being very non-compliance prisoners. It takes someone like Sergeant Slaughter to, to whip them into shape and, you know, maybe, I don't know, my mind's just kind of spinning at the moment, but um, there, there are a lot of cool little, you know, they don't have to be 10, 15, 20-minute long videos, just like individual scenes maybe people would have an interest in seeing that maybe that's just me embellishing a product that i've already released you know maybe the only person getting any satisfaction from it is me because i can like literally just shoot an interrogation scene and be done with it (laughs) easy well i think that uh people like completion and they like to have all those loose ends tied up and i think that you and your videos you kind of leave lots of loose ends out there on purpose and Mm -hmm. i definitely left a lot in clairvoyance uh kind of like there's a there's a lot of strings we can pull to pick up on brings me to the question what is the future for clairvoyance Mm -hmm. now that you've got a taste for it troy i mean you know how many hours you have to sink into a a project like this but at the same time you also know the satisfaction of it being a finished product and being out there for the world to see essentially for our lifetimes but probably longer i mean the internet isn't hopefully going to go away um, YouTube will continue becoming, a, you know, being a prominent, um, well, information tool and and entertainment tool. Um, so this stuff, who knows, man? Someone might uncover mm-hmm. it many, many years from now. But yes. uh, speaking about the very immediate future, after clairvoyance, what's next? That is a good question. Clairvoyance and was supposed to be uh, the first of. Uh, uh, I don't know, a three, five part series. And, you know, we're in 87 and just think about the toys and the action figures in 87. It was a good year. Here comes the persuader. Yeah. <laughs> Kidding. The, the persuader, I mean, the Mamba. And I mean, this is talk about the elephants in a room. I mean, the mobile command center and defiant. Mm-hmm. <laughs> those are, those are two major, major set pieces and um operation red glare that was the thing 
But uh, I did not intend the movie to be 26 minutes long. And I think we've been working on this since May. And it's like five months. That's a long time. So if I do one of these, I'm I'm trying to think about like how to do these faster or at a quicker pace. Something maybe like 10 or 12 minutes. Yeah, well, Uh, if if my experience is anything to go by, the grunt work of it becomes quicker and smoother. Okay. You still obsess as much, but you are, uh, I don't know, like, nowadays I shoot without any kind of script. Mm. I just kind of, I know what beats I want. Principal photography for, say, Bad bad Luck Lady, uh, I think I I did like four two-hour sessions, and that was that was pretty much all I needed. And that was stretched over two weeks. Right. So four hours a week, basically. And then, you know, you sit in the edits for a while because you want everything to be just right. Right. Um, but yeah, it, it does. It one 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 tends to obsess less, and you're like, no, let me just put it out. You know, like mm-hmm. I I could I could I could try and polish this as much as possible, but you know, all those little polishes won't necessarily go noticed. Right. Yes. You've got the broad strokes, and the action's all there, and the footage is all in the can. Like, yeah, man. I uh, I must say, I've, I've I've become a bit bit rushed these days. I'm like. I want the satisfaction, the the instant gratification, and the less time spent obsessing over the piece. Right. A non-perfect G.I. Joe movie is better than a no G.I. Joe movie. Hey, <laughs> and who's to, say, who's to say it isn't perfect, even with its imperfections? Yeah, maybe that's, I, that's I, the... I love I love the stories of happy accidents. Yes, happy accidents. Um, yeah, that, so to circle back to your conversation, I like, I wonder how the fand- fandom would like what, if it's all action that people are really into, or if like a long kind of drama, just a story piece of, uh, you know, two figures, two characters working something out, you know, maybe, maybe there's something to be said about that. Cause like you said, like, I mean, in the in the community, if you're a therapist and you want to feel like you want to write, I mean, there's there's an open door right there to shoot out some ideas. Uh, like, how would Psych Out talk to Lady J? And how would he mm-hmm. deal with Lift Ticket? And he's got a problem with Falcon. Nobody's discovered it yet. I mean, Law's onto it. But I, I'll just go ahead and say, the Joe team doesn't know Falcon's been compromised. Hmm. Yeah. So, that Trojan horse trope, yeah, yeah. Well, we're we're in trouble, GI Joe. Yes. Is there anything else you'd like to add on the video? Other than yeah, that I means I don't know if we want to talk about some things like we kind of touched upon it. Some things that were cut out, like uh, backstop and the Crusader. That Fantastic. was a whole scene that was that was cut out. It just got to the time where it's like I've shot too much. I've got enough. But there was supposed to be a scene. The persuader is leaving the headquarters. There was a, I kind of had a scene written, uh, very loosely, like, oh, they shoot and, and, uh, t- take out the buzz boards and, and there's a whole battle scene that just didn't happen. <laughs> I think it would have stolen something from like the oddballness of it. You know, yeah. where else yeah. are you going to see a pink Corvette pursuing a pogo, Cobra pogo, ballistic battle right. ball? Right. Yeah, man. And then getting swapped yeah, by a buzzbore. Oh, yes. The buzzbore hitting the back end of the Corvette. And, and that, I mean, I'm, you, it's a very classic trope. You drive it along and boom, you get sideswiped. And that was kind of the idea because the, the last we saw the buzzbores, they went underground. 
And I thought that'd be kind of cool to just kind of end this scene pretty fast with the with the nice little wreck. Yeah, man. I I also enjoyed the cameo of the road toad. Oh yes. Has yeah. any GI Joe media in existence ever made use of that vehicle? Let me know, guys. <laughs> yeah. And I chose that on purpose. <laughs> and it was perfect. Yeah. Yeah. Of, that's what it was for. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I must say, like, it's sort of an additional utility vehicle like that. I've never been aware of its function. Like, it's not self-propelled. Okay. It's literally sort of a, a shelf onto which you would mount a heavy vehicle. In this case, it's just, you know, a Corvette, which is probably the lightest thing that Road Toads ever had to, to, to tow. Um, but it was sublime. It, this webisode, Clairvoyance, has made me a fan of a lot of little bits and bobs that I never really enjoyed before. You know, you've got the, the oh. Checkpoint Alpha in there, which, like, you know, it's it's really just a diorama piece, but like, yeah, you it's absolutely essential if you're setting up a GI Joe base. Oh, thank you. And and speaking of that scene, um, the question was, I've seen it. Is Mutt still alive? Mm. And if you look closely, he's there's uh, two dogs on 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 uh, on the scene. Yeah. Not just two, not two German shepherds. <laughs> <laughs> it's junk. Or a yes. dog that looks very much like him. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> nice, nice. Yeah. No, they're, they're both there. Junkyard and Mutt. They're on the other side of the road. So, Excellent. um, and of this discussion, we, I, I forced it out of you. It was like, okay, Steve, is he alive or not? I need to know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. We'd, uh, we'd turn people against us pretty quickly if we started killing off people's favorites. Uh, yes. Mutt and Junkyard do have a firm following. So this is, me getting very specific now. Troy, might we see another video out of you, buddy? Yeah, we're going to have to. I think I'm going to have to scratch that itch. Um, <laughs> Exciting. I, I don't know when and I don't know which which rope to grab. Um, you and I will talk offline. <laughs> but I've got a yes, couple ideas. indeed. i got a couple ideas. Red glare. So what's red glare? Where is it at? What's that all about? There are many a plot thread that need to be teased at. Um, perhaps, yes. <laughs> perhaps it will be the task of people to come. But um, at this stage, there are a few folks waiting in the wings with their own G.I. Joe films. Um, and, and some of it, a lot of it, in fact, is going to be a big surprise to me. Uh, because <clears throat> I passed an eye through over some scripts. I've um, seen a little bit of footage. But a lot of the time... It's like people saying, yeah, we're going to surprise Steve, which I must say I'm so, so, so thrilled about doing. But the exciting thing about this venture, and it's something that we didn't really speak at length about up front, but basically to put everyone in the frame, G.I. Joburg, we invite anyone from the community who has an interest in these, what we're dubbing, play motion style videos which you know it's perhaps the most accessible way to put toy animation up on youtube um because we've all got reasonably good camera phones and hopefully we all have the toys so if you have a concept an idea get in contact with us or you could just surprise us and send us some footage yeah. but this is your portal we'd love to host it 
that's not to say you can't host it on your own channel, but like now that G.I. Joburg has gotten a bit of momentum for doing these sorts of things, if you'd like to join in the fun, we'd love to have you. And this is your portal. It's going to be its own playlist, but it's also going to, with any luck, factor into a greater continuity. I mean, these things can all hang nicely together. I'm not saying that you can't do a wacky kind of Elseworlds alternate dimension style story where G.I. Joe is fighting um, dinosaurs from Jurassic Park. Because <laughs> hell knows there's precedent for that in G.I. Joe anyway. But, Dino uh, Hunters. Totally, totally. But if you want to play within our continuity, get in contact with us. Um, and I can I can refer you on to Troy, or you can just chat to us, or whoever you want to chat to. Find us on Facebook, find us on Instagram, find us on Twitter. G.I. Joeberg, you, you can't miss us, hopefully. Um, but yeah, drop us a, a private message and we'll we'll definitely entertain all ideas at this point. Yes. Yeah, that's that's the fun of it. I mean, I was very particular. I wanted to make sure that I was staying in, in the sandbox with, with your storylines. And originally, Hawk was uh, going to be sending Falcon out. And you were kind of sheepishly like, oh, uh yeah, about Hawk. Um, <laughs> <laughs> maybe Duke would be better. <laughs> like, ah, gotcha. And, and mm-hmm. same thing with the dread. Same thing with the dreadnoughts. Uh, I did not know they were going to be captured when I started writing this. And you know what? I'm so glad we didn't go with the dreadnoughts. Uh, you know, bringing out the freaks of '87, so much better. I think the the storyline worked out a lot better. And I, I had to sell you on that one too. I remember you were like, no, they're they're homegrown. And I was like, I can fit, I can put situations in and, and frame it. Oh, by homegrown, you meant like they're more like base staff. They wouldn't be sent out on missions. Yeah, no, but then, yeah, I think you asked me to to whip up a a scene with, with Big Boa getting his, his orders. And I was like, what scenario would demand Big Boa to, to glove up and, and head out on mission? Oh, well, I suppose if he had to soften up a, uh, a G.I. Joe captive. Totally. Yep. There you go. So, yeah, yeah I, I, I was an easy sell. Come on, Troy. <laughs> you didn't <laughs> have to work too hard on that one. No, no. no. It certainly beat having an, a repeat of Dreadnoughts. I mean, the Dreadnoughts who aren't captured at this point would have been like Zanzibar and, and mm-hmm. Zorana and obviously Zartan and... Uh, and Monkey Ridge. Uh, I, I think, think right? Oh, no, no. Monkey Ridge got, got captured. Road Pig. Road Pig. Of course. But I think they might be better put to use in springing their buddies. Yeah. Oh, see, go. look, and there's a whole other storyline. <laughs> totally, Just totally. Anybody wanted to write that thread, you're welcome. If you're a Dreadnought fan and you can't stand the idea of these guys rotting away in a prison cell somewhere, drop me a line, man. I'm all ears. Yes. to some very cool original music that Paul provided for Clairvoyance, he's been working away at some awesome t-shirt designs, most recently a snow serpent, which, if I do say so myself, is probably the finest snow serpent art I've ever seen in my life. And you can have it on a t-shirt, a mug, and even a poster. Hey! Check out the Teespring store. Plug over. (laughs) (laughs) There you go. 
Nice. And with that, I think... Uh, well, I think if you have listened to this entire podcast, listener, and you haven't watched Clairvoyance, <laughs> well, shame on you. And a lot of this stuff must have sailed plainly over your head. So it is your sworn duty to track down this man's fine work on YouTube. Give it a like. Give us a comment to let us know what you think. And maybe even re-listen to the podcast. Hey. Yes. And yes. then all of a sudden, all these little Easter eggs will have been unlocked to your ears. Yes. But Troy, buddy, once again, wonderful chatting to you. You have a passion for this stuff. You're very eloquent about it. Clearly, it occupies a lot of your mind like it does with me. It is such a relief to chat to you for an hour and some change. I, I appreciate it, and it's it's been a, a lot of fun making this with you, and, and thank you for your help and your support, and thanks for uh, giving me the uh, the platform. Don't stop it, man. Yeah. <laughs> thank you, buddy. It It's excellent. The work stands for itself, and it will be a very celebrated additional chapter to this interesting tale that we're weaving. All right. Thank you. It's exciting times, man. It really is. All right, everybody. Yo, Joe, and... Uh, Check out Clairvoyance to let us know what you think. Yo, Joe! <laughs> <Berg>. <laughs> Good man.